Morning. Isn't that great weighty music? Huh? And that image, the weight of the world, doesn't it just remind you of the weight you're carrying? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Happy May Day, right? I mean, have you guys gathered flowers and taken them to neighbors and stuff like that? I remember we used to do that as kids. Kind of died off. No? No longer a tradition? All right. All right. Hey, um, I was thinking this last week. Excuse me. Al, going to move your stuff out. Um, thinking this last week about, uh, because it has to do with the service or because it has to do with the, the message today, we're going to be talking about things that join other things together. I was thinking about great duos of our lives and in our histories. And, and so I'm going to throw out a name, and uh, I want you guys to throw back the name of the duo that goes with it, okay? So Batman and, right? We have some good ones, don't we? Thelma and Simon and, wow, you guys got three for three. Garfunkel, when else would you know that name, right? Right? Okay, how about the world of food, spaghetti and? Yeah, okay, peanut butter and? Okay, this one's gonna be a little tougher because some of you guys might argue about this one. Hamburger and? <laughs> You're like, is it fries or shake or a cook? It's fries. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Okay, in science, we know there are these duos too because you put H2O, you put H2 and O together and you get water. Who can do without that, right? You have sodium and chloride. Put those together, you get salt, right? We need those. I don't know if you guys know this, but back in 3500 BC, they brought copper and tin together, started a revolution with bronze, right? Began the Bronze Age and really led to a lot of things. So there are some of these great duos. Things about the duos, though, in our history is that they, in order for them to work, they take things that will keep them together, right? Back in 1975, there was a song, Captain and Tennille, they sang, Love Will Keep Us Together. Unfortunately, like when you get to chemistry and crime fighting, those don't always work, right? It's not just love. It has to be things like covalent bonds, you know? Do you remember that from science class? You know, ionic and covalent bonds you have. And then when it comes to people, it's things like the bonds of vows that we make, promises that we make, shared values, shared communities, shared cultures. And each of these things... Each of these things is what the Bible might refer to as a yoke, Y-O-K-E, a yoke, that thing that hangs on the backs of two, necks of two oxen, holds them together so that they can do work as if they were one, right? And, and that word in both Latin and in Greek, it was this word that literally meant that you're taking and you're joining two things together by this third thing that's called a yoke. Now, Jesus talked about yokes. He talked about what it takes, what are these things that it takes to bring people together, to bring things that are different and bring them together in a way that's going to be effective and powerful. Jesus talked about uh, one yoke that people carried, that impossible yoke of trying to keep all the laws that we have to keep if we're going to be perfect before God, right? Right? And he said, that's an impossible yoke to carry. It's impossibly heavy to try and hold that yoke on your own. But he also talked about another yoke, another yoke that he said was easy to bear, one that was the light to work under. So let's stand together. We're going to be reading the words from Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. It's an invitation by Jesus as he talks about this yoke that he's offered. He said, come to me. 
All of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You guys, all of us carry yokes, don't we? We all have connections to other people, whether they're through the promises, through the responsibilities, the commitments, the obligations, the expectations that we have linked ourselves to other people. So all of us have yokes. We're bound to other people and to other places through these things. We're we're bound to this world because we were born in it, right? We are bound to this age because we have an affinity to it. So we are bound in these places by these yokes and we carry these bonds, but because of many of these bonds, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes we get tired trying to carry that yoke. We try to carry sometimes the weight of the world and it wears us out. So Jesus comes and he offers us something new. Today's message is titled, The Yoke, Jesus' Yoke. Father, uh, today we want to hear your invitation, the invitation that came through the lips of your son, Jesus, that invitation that you have always had open to us, that invitation to come into your rest and not into just another form of bondage. Holy Spirit, I, I know that you're here. Jesus, I know that you're here. You said that whenever we gather, two or three of us gather in your name, that you'd be there with us. So I know you're here with that same invitation. And Spirit, you are here to carry that word to the core of who we are, to our hearts, to our, the innermost part of our being, so that we might understand it, that we might understand and know what you are offering to us. So help us to hear your word this morning. Help us to see you among us and to open our hearts to receive your word that this this promise might be planted, that we might be yoked to this promise, this invitation and promise of rest that you have given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, have a seat. Okay, quick history lessons, part of Roman history you guys don't care about and probably will never care about, but in 321 BC, uh, the Roman Empire, what was going to become the massive and mighty Roman Empire was just this kind of medium-sized kingdom that was sitting in the middle of of Italy, and it was battling it out with all these other medium-sized kingdoms that were all around it. It wasn't much to look at, Um, but on that year... Uh, they were actually in the midst of a battle with this, this other kingdom called the Samnites. And the Samnites, and this is legitimate. This sounds goofy, doesn't it? Some guy named Sam starts out, I don't know. But the Samnites, and um, they were tricked into believing that a, a, a city that they had just captured from them the year before was being besieged. And so they go rushing off because they're about to go teach the Samnites a lesson. The problem was, was that it was a trick, it was a trap, and the Samnites said, actually, they knew they were going to go through this one narrow pass. They had blocked off one end. When they got in, they blocked off the other end, and they surrounded them on the mountains. So there was nothing for the Romans to do but to try and fight their way out of it. They lost. They had to surrender. And uh, in the ancient world, in central Italy, there were three options when you captured your enemy like that. One, you could put them all to death. The second thing you could do is you could sell them all into slavery, 
The third thing you could do is you could let them free, but only after what was called passing under the yoke. Passing under the yoke. Three spears were set up. You had two in the ground. You had one that was linking the other two called the yoke because it connected these other two, tied off to them. And each person would have to strip down to just their tunic. They'd have to leave their weapons behind, their armor behind, everything they had behind and just pass them under with their life and their tunic under this yoke. Now it was set up intentionally low enough that they'd all have to bow and submit to it as they passed under it. And as a result, they'd get to keep their lives but they'd have to go home with the promise that the Samnites had defeated them and they'd get all their territory back and that they indeed would not pursue this war any further. From that act of passing under the yoke, we get our word subjugated. The yoke was called a, a, um, the yuga, the yugum, sorry, yugum in Latin. So we get yugate, right? And sub means under, so passing under the yoke is where we get our word subjugated. Now, that is typically what we think of when we think of a yoke, isn't it? Somebody talks about a yoke and you think of subjugation, you think of defeat, you think of humiliation, of being under the thumb, under the power of someone else. An ox would not be wearing a yoke if somebody hadn't captured it, hadn't broken it, hadn't subjugated it. In the Bible, even, the word yoke is more often used about prisoners of war and slaves than it is about animals because it had come to be seen this idea of being subjugated under this yoke of oppression, shame, weakness, loss of freedom. Now, after the Battle of Caudine Forks, because of that, the Roman army, they went home completely demoralized. And one of the historians of that day, uh, Livy, had written that even after that they had even after they had been brought home, even after they had been re-outfitted with new new armor and new weapons, they had been welcomed by their family, they still could barely lift their heads because of the shame that they carried, because of the complete loss of the demoralization, the loss of the sense of any uh, feeling of worth or value in that society, because under the yoke. It's just not a good thing. So the question is, why would Jesus use that word? Why would Jesus say, come to me and take my yoke upon you? Because that's how we always have looked at yoke. That's how we typically always will look at that yoke. The reality, though, is that we all wear yokes, right? We do. We commit ourselves. We attach ourselves to others, we make commitments and promises. We're in relationships and, and connections and networks. A contract is a yoke between you and another person. You commit yourself to them in a certain way, and they commit you're attached to them through that contract. A marriage vow is a yoke that you take on. In fact, in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul actually refers to those who are married, where one is a believer and regards Jesus with a certain amount of esteem, and the other is not a believer or a follower, if they were to get married, they're unequally yoked. They're trying to connect two things that are very different and they're not coming together well. So when we look at those things, though, we don't think, you know, 
contracts. I'm never gonna enter a contract together again because I don't wanna be under that yoke. We never say, well, I'm never gonna get into a relationship again because there are some yokes we look at and we say, you know, that's okay. Even, even for the Romans in 321, now they didn't like the yoke that they were put under by their enemy, but they had a yoke on before they ever went to battle because they had made vows and oblig- taken up obligations and responsibilities to their families. They had vowed to their king, to their country, to their, to their city, to their gods. They had taken on the yoke of Rome, but to them, that was a yoke of freedom. So the problem isn't whether we take on a yoke. The problem for us is whether that yoke is a yoke of bondage, and it brings us into slavery, brings us into oppression, or whether that is a yoke that we believe brings freedom. And in that, Jesus says to us, come, all of you who labor and are heavy laden or weighed down. By what? By the yokes that you're wearing. And I will give you rest. But you'll need to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you'll find rest for your soul. In Jesus' day, one of the yokes, and I had mentioned this before, one of the yokes that people were being worn down by was this yoke that they were trying to keep all the rules that their religious teachers had laid out for them about everything they needed to do to be good enough, to be holy enough, to be perfect enough for God. And they were just beaten up by these things. And these things weren't, they weren't just rules like um, speed limits and don't go, you know, don't shoplift, that type of thing. They were things like every time they turned around, they, what are the exact words that you need to say to be pleasing to God whenever you walk through a doorway? What are the exact words that you need to say in your prayers when you pray before a meal? What are the exact words that you need to say? How many steps can you take on a day that's called the the Sabbath, the day of rest? How many steps can you take before you're starting to work with how far you're traveling and you become offensive to God? Literally, if they took too many steps, they got to the end of their steps, they would sit down and wait till Saturday night so the Sabbath was over so they could get home or get to where they were going. There were rules like, how much money can I charge somebody in the year that comes before the year of Jubilee where all debts are gonna be canceled? How, how much can I charge them so I don't lose too much when the debt is canceled so that I get my money's worth if I'm making a loan in that year, but it's not extortion yet? And the problem, the weight of it, was that all of these rules were told to them, all of these are essential if you're gonna please God. And they were, they, were, they were burdened down under them. You know, for us, you think, how many of us have ever been weighed down by the rules that we think God has set out things that he demands of us in order to be good enough, in order to be perfect enough, in order to be holy enough to even talk to him. And to all of us, whether in Jesus' day or today, Jesus comes and he says, come to me, you who are burdened, you who are weary of trying to carry that yoke, and I'll give you rest. There are other people in Jesus' day who were, they were just trying to navigate their landscape, right? They were just trying to navigate the circumstances of the day. They lived in a, in a day where economically it was, it was rough. 
um, they, they lived in a day where they were economically depressed. It was hand to mouth. They lived in a day when there was a, an, uh, a power that ruled over them that was trying to squeeze out of them all the resources they had and take them for themselves. It, they lived in a day when death seemed to be coming and the threat of death from every direction. Now, I'm glad we don't live like that, right? We, don't have, we can't relate to that. I mean, we live in like the land of plenty, the land of the free, the home of the brave, right? I mean, we're, we're not wandering around. But the reality is, right, that many of us are going, I'm not sure how I'm going to navigate this current economic situation, right? Things are looking rough. I'm not sure how I'm going to navigate the fact that every time I look down, the prices seem to go up and the value of what I have or what I'm getting seems to go down. And there's this gap that I'm getting squeezed. How about how many of us, every time we look around, there seems to be another threat. I mean, a threat to our lives, like a pandemic or just random violence. And it's not like out in some inner city. It's in our malls and in our schools. How many of us have to deal with the fact that that there's the illnesses out there and there's, there's wars that just spring up out of nowhere and natural disasters that come out of nowhere. And that yoke of being yoked to this world and just trying to navigate through it, it wears us out. Do you agree? Anybody else know this, feel this, experience this? And Jesus says, so come to me, all of you who are weary, who are weighed down by this yoke that you're wearing, and I will give you rest. So how do we know that the yoke that Jesus offers is any better than the yoke that we're already wearing, right? It seems like it would just be a matter of trading one subjugation for another, one form of humiliation and defeat for another, one kind of oppression for another. How do we know that his yoke will really be easy, meaning it will fit us well. How do we know that his burden will really be light? How do we know that? Well, I want you to listen to his offer that he made that we read in Matthew 11. I will give you rest because I am gentle and humble in heart. I am humbled to the core of who I am. That's why you can trust me. And you will find rest, and not just any rest, you will find a rest for your souls. This is a rest that goes down to your bones, and then it goes past your bones into that very mysterious place of that essence that just makes up the the essence of who you are. This is a rest that becomes who you are. It's not something you do. It's something you become. He says, I will give you rest for your souls. You say, how do, we, how do we know he's going to do that? You know, I remember a story about Satan. Satan once made a promise to us about finding something that was going to help us and benefit us, and that didn't turn out so well. Instead, we just found a yoke of slavery, a yoke of sin and death and sickness and sorrow. How do we know? Jesus says, you can trust me because I'm gentle and humble. Why, why is that important? Well, gentle means, gentle means that he takes all of his power. We talked about this. This is one of my favorite words in the New Testament. All of his power, and he doesn't use it to crush us with his power. He uses it for us. That's gentleness. 
He moves into the place of a servant on our behalf with all that he has. He's gentle and he is humble in heart to the core of all that he is. Cheryl talked about this last this week. Pastor Cheryl was talking about Philippians 2 and it says, even though he existed in the very form of God, he did not regard that as something he was gonna hang on to, but he emptied himself. He put that all aside so that he could come down and subjugate himself to one goal, to one purpose, and that was our redemption. That was our salvation. And so he made himself obedient to the point of death, even death, get this, even the most excruciating, humiliating, degrading death that the Romans, remember them? It was like ever since 321, they're running around the, the, the whole Mediterranean world saying, we're not gonna be beat like that again. And anybody who even flinches at us wrong, we're gonna nail them up in the most ugly way we can come up with. That's what the cross was. And he said, he didn't just submit himself to death, but death, the worst kind of death, the worst yoke the Romans could make him pass under. Death on a cross. But he did it for us. He said he did it for us. He did it for us so that we would be free, that we would be free from ever having to bear those kind of yokes ever again. It says that he died so that we would live. Isaiah 53, it says he took our sorrows. He took our our shame. He took our grief. It says by his stripes, we have been healed. It says that the battering blows that fell on him for our peace for our peace. They fell into him, not, not those, the things that were necessary to gain our peace came on him, not on us. So that's what he means when he says he's gentle and he's humble to his very heart. So the question is, does it sound like somebody you can trust? If he says, take my yoke because I'm offering you rest, you think we can trust that promise? So what is the yoke? What is the yoke that he asks us to take on? Think about this. The thing that he asks us to take on as a result is nothing short of eternal life, getting us out of this deadly loop of life and sin and death and separation and isolation and, and bringing brought into the very life of God, eternal life, nothing short of that. Nothing short of being adopted and given a name as the sons and daughters of God himself. We're not slaves that sit outside the gates just hoping for scraps. We're sons and daughters that are invited into the very feast. And we don't even have to be invited in. There is a standing invitation because he is now our father, not just our God who reigns on high that somehow we have to impress to get into his presence. Nothing short of those who are heirs of his kingdom, vessels of his Holy Spirit. We're the ones who have within us the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. We are called ambassadors of his kingdom and representatives of all that he is. We are no longer slaves wearing the yoke of slavery that doesn't fit us well, that always chafes against us, but rather we have been grafted in, bound to join with Jesus as part of God's own household. We don't do God's will now because we do it as a task, because we do it as a burden, as a yoke. 
We choose to do God's will because this is who we are. This is our house. This is our heart expressed by our Father. We don't, we don't find it a burden to hear God's word and follow it as if we were slaves sitting outside the gate trying to make ourselves do something we don't want to do. Instead, we are children of his kingdom, born of him. Nothing short in this yoke, nothing short of complete forgiveness for all the things that we may have done, whether we knew it or not, that stood against and broke his intentions, his directions, his perfection in this world. And we've all done that. Nothing short of finding unhindered love of our Father. Unhindered love from our Father and freedom from sin and death and from the fear of anything or anyone in this world. Jesus says we are born anew and that is the yoke that we are invited to take on, to pass under, to come under so he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Now at this point, some of you guys are probably going, okay, so what does this have to do with suffering, right? Because we're in a series about suffering. You told us, you said us all, I'm surprised, honestly, that we have more people here this week than we did last week because we said we're gonna be talking about suffering and that's not usually something that draws people in but you're saying, what does this have to do about suffering? Because what it sounds like is Jesus is giving an invitation to get out of suffering which in essence he is, because he says, you take on my yoke, which is light, which is easy, which fits well. It doesn't cause suffering. However, we know that in John 16, 33, he also says, in this world, you will always have tribulation, right? You're always gonna run into suffering. It's the nature of a broken world. It has jagged edges, and we don't even have to run into them. They'll run into us. So, so in this world, you're gonna have brokenness and suffering and we will suffer, but he sh- and he showed us that even in his own life. Again, in Philippians 2, if you read that, you realize what he said. He set all that he was in God aside so that he could do what? That he could come knowing that he was gonna suffer, knowing that he was gonna become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He committed himself to that. He sat in the garden, he said, God, if you can make this cup pass from me, because it's gonna be horrible, but not my will, but yours. Not my own human will, but yours. Because in this world, we'll have suffering. But he committed himself to whatever is necessary, whatever yoke was necessary to carry in order to break us free. I want you to hear this. That he would break us free from the yoke that bound us to unavoidable, eternal suffering. Right? He took on his suffering so that we could be broken from the yoke to suffering. But he says his yoke leads to life, right? His, his yoke, his burden is light. It's for that reason, you know, we go to 2 Corinthians, and again, Paul, Paul was one of these great leaders of the early Christian church, and he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and 17, he says, therefore, and he's talking about therefore, in suffering, in our, in our hardships, we don't, lose, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart, even though this person, this outer person of our outer life is getting torn apart every day, right? 
You, can anybody kind of relate to that? Maybe a sickness, maybe a external circumstances, maybe it's just the stress and strain of just what your season of life now. But he says, every day this outer person of our, of our life is getting torn apart, and yet the inner person who is who we are, truly are, who our true being is, the one who's created new in Christ, that new creation is being created new, more and more new, created new day by day. So he says this, for this momentary light affliction cannot be compared because it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond comparison. The light affliction that we, to join with him is to find that our, our the suffering, the, the, the conflicts, the troubles that we face are light in comparison with the glory that it works. Somehow we join with Jesus in enduring and opposing the suffering of this world. Somehow we are joined with him through this yoke knowing that we are yoked with him and somehow even that suffering is taken into him and is joined with his own suffering that God uses to redeem the world. Did you guys hear that? When we are joined with Christ, we are completely joined with him so that even our suffering is joined with his, is joined to that work of his suffering that redeems the world. Suffering is not without value, without purpose, his yoke is easy and his burden light is not because he makes easy the things that sometimes we have to go through, right? We go through hard things. What makes it easy is that we know that he is in it with us because we're yoked with him. That he is carrying it for us because we're yoked with him. We've taken up his yoke and it's easy, it's light. And we know we know that through all the affliction that he is working glory. He is working through it a glory that can't even be compared to it because it will seem so light in comparison because of the redemption that he is working through for both our lives but also for the lives of others and also for the, the very creation itself. It says all of creation groans waiting for the revelation of the children of God. All of creation is suffering and groaning. And we groan within ourselves waiting for that day when all will be revealed, but we are groaning in this work that we are joined with Christ in doing. That's why James says we can count it all joy when we encounter various trials, right? That's why Paul would write in Romans 12, three, he says we rejoice in our tribulations, not because we're so happy about what we're going through, but because we know who goes through it with us, we know who carries the lion's share of the pain and the sorrow because he's taken it from us. And we also know what it is going to produce, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And so we put ourselves under his, his yoke because it's easy and his burden is light. You know, the Romans have... Back in 321, they had this other custom that when they would come back from battle, they would all gather on this big field called the field that was dedicated to Mars. And they had an altar out there and they had a stream that went through. And then they had this like this archway that was set up. 
And they would offer all their sacrifices to, to Mars for the great victories that he had won. Now in 321, they came back humiliated because they didn't have any offerings to offer to, to Mars because they hadn't won anything. And they go walking through the stream to cleanse them from all that which we had to do with the battle that didn't have to do with the, the life that they were walking back into. And then they would walk through this 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 archway, this, and it was called the kind of the gateway of triumph. They would walk through this in triumph, but it was set up much the same way that these spears had been, right? You had the two columns on the side, and they had the, the yoke. They had the, the cross beam on the top. And when they walked under it, they understood that they leave the battle back there. They leave the dirt of the battle in the stream. They leave the glory of the battle on the altar because they're taking up again this yoke, the yoke of Rome, so that they can leave the battle there with all this madness, all this crazy, all this trauma. They leave it there so they can walk back and and become again the fathers and the sons and the friends and, and, and the people of Rome. The problem was, was like in 321... They, they couldn't do that because there was no water that could wash off their shame. There was, no, there was no victory to offer up to the God of their city, Mars. They couldn't walk through this, this triumphal gate because they hadn't triumphed. And so instead, they were surrounded. They were, they were under just this perpetual shame of the yoke that they've been made to pass under. You guys, as, as those who, who have been brought by God to Jesus, we are those who, it says in Romans 12, it says we come to a fire, we come to an altar, but we don't just put up victory that's ours that we offer up to God to impress him. Instead, we put ourselves on the fire because we gotta burn up. There's nothing we have to bring into this with us. We're instead, we're a living sacrifice to him. We go into a stream, we go into the waters of baptism, but it says we die there. And instead, we're raised into a newness of a life that he calls it, that wasn't ours to grab up, wasn't ours. We didn't take it in with us. He gave it to us when we're gone. And when we walk through a, a triumph and under a yoke, it's not about us being able to triumph in our lives. It's about a victory that Jesus won for us. And we are brought under the yoke of his triumph. That's why it's easy. That's why it's light. That's why it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't weigh us down or make us weary because he is bearing it. But he says that's what it takes to walk into his city, to become a part of his family, to take the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. It's not about us. He offers us his own life. So, so what does it mean to take up his yoke? How do we do that? The first is this, take him up on his offer. He says, come to me if you're weary. Listen, if you guys are weary because of whatever yoke is hanging around your neck in this world, if you're weary from that, he says, come to me. So take him up on his offer. He says he'll give you rest. Let go of that that yoke of, of trying to navigate this world on your own. Let go of that yoke of trying to make good for yourself. Let go of that yoke of trying to live up to being good enough for God. Let go of those. Just put those aside. And he says, take my yoke. On you instead. Take him up on his offer, and he will, he says, he will bring rest to your souls. Second, he says, when you come, you gotta leave everything behind. We cannot try and sneak in part of our old life into this new life. He says it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't match. It's gonna, you have to, it burns up on the fire, it gets 
It dies in the river, and it's only Jesus by the time you pass through the gate. So don't try and sneak it in. If we try and sneak it in, what we bring in with us usually is shame, guilt, failure, weakness, and that nagging feeling that we're never gonna quite make it until we are dead, living sacrifices on that altar, dead in Christ and raised in the newness of life, we will always have that nagging feeling that we're not enough because only in Christ are we enough. Only when we are yoked to him. But the third thing is this. Realize that all of you, all of your life is now yoked to Jesus. When you take his yoke on you, everything, not just your joys, but your struggles, not just your triumphs, but your failures, not just the easy times, but the struggles, the hard times, the times you suffer. He says, I am making all things new, not just in spite of those, but in all things, I'm working my good. In all things, I'm going to show the glory I'm bringing about. And so these, these tribulations become light compared to the glory that he's working in us. Amen?